for joining Discipleship Conditioning, Anatomy Through a Biblical Lens. We begin our shows the same pretty much all the time with prayer requests. Our email is prayer at erratphysiology.com. If you have a prayer request, uh, we would like to hear from you. If you are having a difficult time understanding how anatomy and physiology relates to the Bible and how they do not contradict, please reach out. If you're having a difficult time from one of two avenues coming out of a, a biblical school, whether that be a actual college or university, whether that be a preparatory school, or maybe that just be uh, a way of thought, a worldview, if you will, and you don't understand a whole lot about anatomy and physiology, uh, we invite you to reach out to us. If you've come from the other worldview, other school of thought, where your academic training uh, has been highly scientific, uh, you've gone grown up in the public school like I did, and you have a biblical curiosity, please reach out. We really want to hone in and start focusing on how we can show people the connection between science and the Bible. And there are other people in that space that are doing a much better job of that. Our niche, we want to come down to the level of anatomy and physiology and the Bible. I studied anatomy and physiology because uh, despite all the complex machinery that men build, I felt that the human body was the most fascinating thing on earth. Uh, From an early age, I knew it was God-inspired. Uh, But I've grown tremendously through my years and mistakes, and it's always reinforced the genesis of us through a creator. So if you'd like to know more about that, we talk about that on this podcast from episode to episode. And we'd also like to have a personal conversation with you if you're open to that. We have a number of emails already na- announced, prayer at erratphysiology.com. Another good one is hello at erratphysiology.com. Today's topic is going to be sleep. We're going to look at sleep through Ecclesiastes 5, 10 through 12. 10 and 11, 10 specifically, looks at the value of money, which we've talked about previously. And 12 focuses on sleep. Uh, we're going to tie all that in. Uh, with some things that recent research is showing us in the anatomy and physiology scientific community and how it relates to Ecclesiastes 5, 10 through 12. By the end of this podcast, you will value sleep more than you previously did. Pretty confident in that. A lot of us don't realize how vital sleep is. I've heard people say in the past that they had the option between taking any sort of pharmaceutical that we have on earth versus a good night's sleep, the people that truly understand what occurs during sleep would choose sleep over the pharmaceutical. It is that rejuvenating. It is that powerful. We serve men ages 20 to 40 who have ever felt persecuted over their God-given qualities. Through anecdotal strength and conditioning experiences, along with anatomy and physiology as they fit closely together, As well as the scholastic truth of the Bible, we teach how God's word impacts every facet of our lives. We do take a scientific approach to it, 
We're not counselors. We're not therapists. We're not doctors. Uh, So we're going to take an approach that is fitting to us to show everyone how our human bodies are very biblical and they relate in that way. We do this because we are faced with a problem of societal influence outweighing biblical influence, which leads to our succumbing of the evil tactics intended to destroy us. We are in the midst of a battle. I've recommended it before, but Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis is a phenomenal book, probably on my list of top three, if not top five, on books that show this, show this better than I can articulate. We serve brothers and sisters with authenticity in the midst of change through our calling in ministries as teachers. As I've said before, I often record this around 5 a.m. or so, and there is going to be a mistake. There's going to need to be an editing for any podcast I record at 5 a.m. first thing in the morning, especially with a newborn and getting relatively little sleep. Although credit to my wife, she apparently doesn't need sleep anymore. She's constantly awake with our little one and uh, almost feels wrong of me to complain about my sleep because she makes it so easy for me. But nevertheless, we're going to remain authentic in the midst of our own change without editing because we want you to see the good and the bad and everything that we do in the podcast. We are self-sponsored, erratphysiology.com. There we offer blog-style articles. We offer nonfiction books. The one we're working on right now is A Year Without Television. My original anticipation for concluding that was going to be probably in the next two to three months. But with some changes at work and changes here at the business, that's probably going to be delayed. But it's something that I put effort into on a weekly basis, and I'm excited to conclude Uh, sooner rather than later. We offer strength and conditioning programs. We see this best fit for uh, athletic directors and the coaches that are underneath athletic directors. So if you know an athletic director, please pass this information on to them. Have them go to our website and look at our programs. I was, a lot of people don't know this, I was the head football coach at a very small school in rural Idaho. Um, and I was, I was head coach for a short time and we played eight man football up there and due to life circumstances, I had to leave that rural town and kind of come back to civilization in the Boise, Idaho area. Uh, but in that short stint that I had, and by the way, I miss the people up there very much. Uh, if by some off chance, any of them are listening, I I do miss you. And, uh, I learned in my short period of time there how, little funding and support in terms of strength and conditioning these small schools have. Uh, So specifically, if you know an athletic director for a small school, eight-man football, uh, these two high schools that I worked through had less than 40 kids uh, in each school. So we had to combine them to get a football team, a football team of uh, eight, roughly 16 to 20 with backups 
And uh, I was so thankful to spend the time I did with them because I was able to provide them strength and conditioning services that they'd never had before. I was able to bring in strength and conditioning equipment that they'd never had before. So my heart really goes out to those communities, not the big schools. We call them 5A schools around here. It used to be when I was growing up, 1A was the biggest, but now 5A is the biggest. But nevertheless, these 1 and 2A schools that really do not have the support that they need from a strength and conditioning standpoint. And, and it's not just that. There's a lot of things they don't have support in. And so we want to provide quality programs to all athletes across the country, but specifically those that uh, have been sort of neglected. Courses, we're working on bare bones anatomy and bare bones physiology, and really excited about that. This is our faith-based podcast. We also offer faith-based coaching. We do so through our lens, as we've talked about before. It's going to be more of a scientific anatomy and physiology approach, strength and conditioning approach, life experience approach. Call it life coaching. Call it whatever you like. Uh, That's what we focus on there. And then our summer camp, we've talked about pretty much every episode. This July, Greenleaf, Idaho. You can inquire further at either of the two emails that I mentioned earlier, or simply go to the website. The Bible, part that matters, Ecclesiastes 5, 10 through 12 reads, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. When good increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes. Sleep, excuse me, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Again, I alluded to this a little bit earlier. 10 is a little bit more focused on money. 11 is sort of a good transition statement, and 12 focuses on sleep. Um, Full disclosure, Ecclesiastes is a poetic book that I am far from truly understanding. However, the concept of sleep appears in Ecclesiastes 5.12. That's the topic I want to speak on today to share some cool research with you and give you kind of a unique spin on this verse or set of verses. And so through our application, we'll first focus on he who loves wealth with his income. When I think of that as it pertains to sleep, I think of how I was in my early 20s. Uh, Friday was payday, more than likely going to find me at the bars, uh, hanging out with friends, spending far too much money, 20, 30, 40% of that paycheck, a ridiculous amount. And like it alludes to here in Ecclesiastes 5, 10 through 12, that's a constant income that needs refilled. It's a constant experience that needs refilled. There is no life in that. So he who loves wealth with his income. My association with sleep and alcohol due to that socializing on Friday evenings or many evenings brings me to the first point of research with Matt, which Matthew Walker uh, brings to our attention, both in his TED Talk, 
both in his masterclass, uh, both in his book, Why We Sleep, among other things. He's got about 20 years worth of research as it pertains to sleep. He's an individual that's fun to watch because you can see the passion. It's fairly obvious when somebody is doing what they love. You can hear it in their voice. Uh, You can see it in their eyes. He's a joy to watch. And he speaks to how a lot of us have the misconception that if we consume a little bit of alcohol before we go to bed, uh, it's going to help us sleep better. And he describes alcohol as as a sedative in the sense that it helps you sedate but not sleep. It makes you think that you're getting to sleep more easily. However, we're going to talk about circadian rhythms a little bit later. It disturbs those circadian rhythms. And the quality of sleep that you get is much less after alcohol. Now, I didn't focus a ton in on alcohol timing. We're going to talk about caffeine a little bit later. And I did focus on caffeine timing. Uh, So I don't know if there is a big difference between consuming alcohol at 1 p.m. versus 10 p.m. I would imagine, like caffeine, there probably is. uh, But I didn't focus on that. When good increase, they increase who eat them. This to me goes to that concept of something that needs refilled constantly. We can have too little sleep. We can have more than enough sleep. Both are issues. When we look at too little sleep, and more sleep for that matter, we want to look at the typical circadian rhythm of a diurnal species, which is us. Diurnal being the antithesis of nocturnal, so meaning we're awake during the day. Our natural circadian rhythms vary from those who are what they call morning larks that probably have a circadian rhythm most prominent between 9 p.m. and 5 a.m. Those who are night owls that have a circadian rhythm most prominent between, let's say, 1 a.m. and 9 a.m. There are extremes on either side of that, and then there are people in the middle. Matthew Walker estimates that about 25% of people, maybe 30% of people, are true night owls. And about the same percentage of people are true morning larks, with the rest of us being somewhere in between. He also shares that we change our circadian rhythm by a few hours as we age. When we're young, we typically go to bed early and we wake up early. Or in periods of growth, we go to bed early and we wake up late. Kids need a lot of sleep. Teenagers do too, but their circadian rhythm typically shifts a little bit. So they go to bed later and they sleep later. And then adults kind of bring us back to this halfway point where we sleep in between those two times. We start sleep in between those two times and we end sleep in between those two times. Then again, during uh, elder years, our circadian rhythm shifts back to what it was like in childhood. 
And maybe that resonates with you. It certainly resonates with me. Uh, I can think of when I was a teenager and how late I would like to stay up and how late I would like to sleep in. And that habit, which was most, mostly a social habit, continued into about my mid-20s. Uh, but since about 25 and beyond, I start getting super tired around 7 or 8 o'clock at night. And it actually is a reward for me to go to bed. I am excited to go to bed at 7, 8 o'clock if I have the opportunity to. This brings into focus night shift, and he presents some really interesting facts on night shift. He also presents some interesting facts with daylight savings. With night shift, he quotes that there is a higher incidence of anxiety, depression, and a whole other list of negative things that we do not want associated with our life with those who are on night shift. Because it isn't just a get up at 4 a.m. to be to work at 5 a.m. job. It isn't a swing shift where you work till maybe midnight or maybe even one o'clock. It is a complete 180 degree flip from being diurnal to being nocturnal. And when you try and take a diurnal species and you try and make them nocturnal, you see some major fluctuations in circadian rhythms. And a lot of times people end up having to be on melatonin to get to sleep during the day because their body doesn't want that. We know that anytime you take a hormone, melatonin is a hormone that comes from the pineal gland. Anytime you take a hormone and you interject it into the system, the body is less likely to produce that hormone. We see this with steroid abuse. Steroid mimics testosterone. And so those who abuse steroids, their natural production of testosterone generally decreases, especially when they abuse steroids over a long period of time. The body thinks of it as, if I'm going to be getting it for free elsewhere, why would I produce it on my own? So melatonin, like all other hormones, behaves in the same sort of way. If you take melatonin and you take it chronically, your body's going to produce less natural melatonin. And because the supplement industry isn't governed by the FCC, FCC, FDA, sorry, FC, I don't know where I got FCC, FDA, Food and Drug Administration, because it's not regulated like our produce is or our meats are and things like that, they are finding that when we send a couple pills of melatonin in from the same bottle to a laboratory, there are varying amounts of melatonin within each pill, within the same bottle, let alone bottle to bottle. And so because there's not a standard in place where uh, these supplements have to reach a certain specification to pass, the the bottle may tell you a certain number of grams or milligrams that you're consuming of whatever the product is, but there may actually be a variability, and there likely is a variability, between pill to pill. So we talked about this last time where uh, with nutrition, you want to keep your variables the same. That way you know what goes off. Well, how can you keep your variables the same 
when something you think you're taking that's consistent is off. Some people resort to supplements from Canada and supplements from other countries because there is a higher regulation. Some people go to the length of doing third-party testing. Uh, A lot of supplement companies will advertise that. They'll charge more for their supplements. The only way to be sure is to purchase that supplement and then send some samples off to lab to make sure they actually have what they say that they have. The percentages are pretty pretty gross, to be honest. Uh, there are some pills of melatonin that are like 30% of what it actually says, and there are some that are like 400% of what they say is on the bottle and what should be in each pill. And so there is some drastic uh, alterations that could cause some consequences for us uh, in the amount of natural melatonin that we secrete. Daylight savings, which I think I heard that next year, and maybe I mentioned this before, but I think I heard that next year that's going away. I certainly hope so. Uh, We live in a time where it's not really necessary anymore. And one of the things from a health standpoint that has come to light, which I think may have been part of the uh, promotion to end daylight savings, is that in the spring, when you spring forward, so you get an hour less sleep, the next day, roughly 20% increase in myocardial infarctions or heart attacks. And in the fall, when you fall back and you gain an hour, there's roughly a 20% reduction in myocardial infarction, heart attack. Talked about variables, right? Now, it's, it's difficult to be exact with this, but if we look at society as a large, the only variable that's changed is the amount of sleep from that previous night. And so they think there is a high correlation between the amount of sleep and many different disorders and diseases and events that we succumb to. It's interesting that they've selected daylight savings to be one hour because our circadian rhythms are 90-minute durations, more or less. It can be different person to person, but more or less there's about a 90-minute cycle. So a major application you can take from this, you know what time you naturally get tired and what time you want to go to bed um, and what time you end up waking up because of a result of that. Start adding 90-minute cycles. If you go to bed at 10 p.m., and you honestly fall asleep by about 10.30, well, add 90 minutes. That puts you at midnight. Add another 90 minutes for another circadian rhythm. That puts you at 1.30. Add another 90-minute circadian rhythm. That puts you at 3. Add another 90-minute. That puts you at 4.30. Add another 90-minute. That puts you at 6 a.m. And then between that point and the next circadian rhythm of 6 a.m. and 7.30 p.m. provides you two optimal times to wake up. They recommend that everybody should get between about seven and nine hours of sleep. Uh, they, the research kind of squashes people that say, I get four hours of sleep and I'm fine. Well, the studies are showing that these people are not fine. 
and that seven hours truly is a minimum. And they'd like to see more eight or nine hours. So think about when you go to bed and do your 90 minute increments and set your alarm for that time when you expect for that last circadian rhythm to conclude. This gets into the last portion of uh, Ecclesiastes, specifically Ecclesiastes 5.12. Sweet is the sleep of the laborer. In this, I think of the lymphatic system that is not present in the brain. The lymphatic system is present in all areas of our body. It is largely used as a superhighway for our immune system. It also serves as a drainage system when we have too much buildup of fluid and tissue, which could result in edema. The lymphatic system takes care of that. People that have compromised lymphatic systems are more prone to edema in specific areas. But interestingly enough, the brain does not have a lymphatic system. Everywhere else in the body does, but the brain does not. I think there might actually be bone marrow as well. I think bone marrow is missing the lymphatic system, but don't quote me on that. I'm not 100% sure. I'm not rem- I may not be remembering that correctly. But back on topic today we're talking about uh, sleep which is highly associated with brain and brain rejuvenation. Uh, there's no lymphatic system in the brain. And the, we know that the brain uses the majority of glucose and other forms that can actually use lactic acid, lactate, many different forms to fuel it because the brain is so powerful and so important. And we know that it is more metabolically active than any other tissue in the body. But yet it doesn't have a way of handling the buildup of all the metabolic waste. At least it doesn't appear that it does. What research has found is that something phenomenal happens in the brain during sleep, specifically deep sleep. And deep sleep is best achieved with good sleep hygiene, going to bed the same time each night, waking up at the same time each morning, not changing between weekdays and weekends, those sorts of things. The repetition of the circadian rhythms, these uninterrupted circadian rhythms. When this occurs... The brain alters specifically around the vessels that supply nourishment to the brain to allow an outflow and inflow of CSF, which is known as cerebral spinal fluid. Cerebral spinal fluid gets into all the nooks and crannies and pulls out these metabolic wastes and they flush them out of the system and continually recycle. Most anatomy and physiology textbooks will estimate that there's about 140 milliliters of cerebral spinal fluid at any given time that's constantly recycling. It comes from the ventricles of the brain, not to be confused with the ventricles of the heart. They're known as the lateral ventricles, and they produce through a specialized cell called the epidemial cell, they produce the cerebral spinal fluid that is continual. So we always have a fresh Batch, batch of cerebral spinal fluid. But if we don't enter that deep sleep, the brain doesn't alter in that way, and cerebral spinal fluid doesn't make it to all those nooks and crannies to pull out the metabolic waste. If that happens, the metabolic waste will build up over time, 
I believe the name of it is alpha-line beta, is one of the formations that becomes of this accumulated metabolic waste. And we know that that has a direct correlation with Alzheimer's. So even though they're not there yet, scientists are now saying we're pretty dang close to saying bad sleep, chronic bad sleep over decades, leads to Alzheimer's. It's interesting the way that we're designed by our Heavenly Father to not have a lymphatic system. And at the surface, man's understanding would say, well, that's a, that's a defect. That's, that's something that uh, our Creator messed up on. But as we continue to learn more and more, we see that there is a very, very simple design in hand that will help us. And it even goes to the concept of free will. We, ha we all have access to sleep. We can either choose to uh, keep it or choose to get rid of it or compromise it. And if we choose to keep it, there are immense health benefits that are built in that we weren't aware of 10 years ago. And we speak in 2023 like we're aware of it all. There's going to be research that comes out in the years to follow that add and perhaps even contradict some of the things that I'm saying today based on what current research is. That's our own human understanding. But this was all created day one when God breathed life into man. All of this stuff that has taken us thousands of years to begin figuring out was created in an instance. I'll, I'll begin concluding with caffeine because many of us are focused on how much caffeine we consume. Many of us consume too much caffeine, and we have an idea that that's probably not good. Maybe we've had ca caffeine too late in the day, and it's affected how we get to sleep. Um, but Matthew Walker, in his TED Talk, in his master class, in his papers, in his book, talk about the true effect of caffeine. And the section of scripture, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep, makes me think of that. Uh, a lot of us live in this stimulated world where we wake up and we grab a cup of coffee, we grab an energy drink, whatever the case is, and we repeat that over and over and over and over again. Now, I'm pretty sensitive to caffeine personally, so I'll have a cup of coffee on Wednesday mornings when I meet with my men's group. Last episode, I, I referred to it as the day prior, and, and when I listened to the episode thereafter, I realized I got my days mixed up, because that would have indicated that I met with the guys on Thursday, and I don't. I meet with the guys on Wednesday. Maybe some sleep deprivation led to that. Quite possible. Uh, but with that, I noticed that if I consume caffeine through the form of black coffee... Uh, on Wednesday and maybe once over the weekend, Saturday or Sunday, I'm generally okay. But if I start consuming caffeine on a daily basis, I start getting headaches. My gastrointestinal system doesn't handle it very well. And so as much as I love the smell and the taste of coffee, I have to limit because of those factors, those internal factors that I'm experiencing. Some people can drink caffeine all day, um, every day. There are decreasing and increasing genetic influences on the influence of caffeine and how much it stimulates uh, 
uh, or does not stimulate the person. So into a person that genetically is predispositioned to not be influenced by caffeine, they need a lot of caffeine to have the same effect. And someone like me who's highly sensitive, it doesn't take much caffeine for them to be stimulated. In fact, if I take caffeine after about noon, I'm in trouble. And research shows that there is a half-life and quarter-life to caffeine. Half-life being about four to five hours, quarter-life being about 10 hours. Uh, for those of you that don't know what half-life and quarter-life is, what it, what it means is based on 100% of the dosage that you applied to your system, uh, specific to the ingredient that we're talking about here, caffeine, how many hours before half of it has been metabolized by the body? And for caffeine in most people, that's about four to five hours. Quarter life would be uh, how long before 75% of it has been metabolized. And for most of us, that's about 10 hours. So if I have caffeine at noon, 10 hours later would be 10 p.m. I've already said previously that I like to try and go to bed around 8 or 9. I get sleepy around 7 or 8. So that's certainly going to impact my sleep and my acquisition of sleep or my attainment of entering sleep because I'm still going to have a quarter cup of coffee in my system come 10 p.m. when I'm trying to sleep either an hour or two hours prior. Research does mention that there are some people that can get to sleep right after having a having an evening coffee and my wife is one of those people but what we've learned is that you may not have in select people you may not see the impact in entering sleep but if you were at a sleep lab more often than not what they find is a disturbance in your deep sleep and is a disturbance in your circadian rhythms when you consume caffeine too late in the day so whereas we didn't focus on a consumption of alcohol based on time, with caffeine there very much is an association of when you consume the caffeine. And if it relates to deep sleep and circadian rhythms, well, we just need to go back to something we talked about a, about a minute or two ago in the lymphatic system and the cerebral spinal fluid and how we need that deep sleep to sort of rejuvenate the brain. And that if we don't, there are dire consequences as the years go by. Those are some of the fascinating things that I know about sleep. I've credited Matthew Walker a couple times in this podcast. His book, Why Do We Sleep, is fantastic. His masterclass, uh, which I've watched recently, is great. And years ago, I watched his TED Talk video, which I still include in each one of my classes in anatomy and physiology. So really good information if you want to hear this echoed. Uh, truly, I am echoing most of this from him. But uh, if you want to hear it a second time, he is a great resource. And then the rest of the information that I'm giving you that wasn't stated by him is stuff that I've learned over the years through anatomy and physiology textbooks. And a quality anatomy and physiology textbook should be based on research and current research. And they all are, at least the ones that I've committed to. So as we conclude here, as a reminder, as we always conclude, when you have a decision to be made, make sure you pray, make sure you seek scripture, 
and make sure you seek wise counsel if you still need it. Prayer and praying repentantly, as I've mentioned before, is essential. I think of prayer and, and repented prayer as an acknowledgement of my sin and me being incorrect. I then think of the second step of scripture as let me learn from my mistake and go educate myself on the subject. I believe that the Holy Bible is inerrant. I believe that man's interpretation of the scripture is where the error lies. But if we can get down to the true meaning of scripture, I believe that it is inerrant and it is all there for us to live our best life. If answers still haven't become conclusive at that point in time, I recommend seeking wise counsel. If you need prayer, if you need wise counsel, please reach out. If you're interested in more on the subject of what we talked about today, please reach out. Let's conclude with the Lord's Prayer. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.